0: It's really interesting how sometimes the oddest of synchronicities can kind of have a a deep impact on you and the way that you're thinking throughout the week. And this past week, I had a couple of really interesting experiences that I want to discuss one on Twitter and one in real life and uh, kind of dive into how this relates to a quote that I use quite often, which is The real is not veiled from you, but rather it is you who are veiled from seeing it. It's one of my favorite quotes of all time from any tradition. It actually stems from the Sufi tradition. And uh, I'm going to dive deep into the symbology and the meaning of that quote and how it relates to these experiences that I had. Welcome to the Alchemical Mind. A few days ago, I posted a pretty interesting image that I found on Reddit, which were accurate depictions of angels from the Bible. Uh, Seraphim, in fact, not just any kind of angel. There are several different uh, categories of angels, like seraphim, cherubim, etc. And uh, this person had posted these really cool images... That uh, he drew based on the accurate description that's present in the Bible. And of course, they're very different from anything that you might think of, right? Usually, when we think of angels, particularly in Western traditions, we think of uh, these beautiful, tall, white beings, usually with blonde hair and uh, white robes and gigantic, beautiful, feathered wings. And that's not at all what's described in the Bible. Now, I'll put a link in the show notes to the tweet so you can see these four different depictions of Seraphim and uh, judge for yourself what you think in terms of what you believe an angel to look like. And, uh, of course, it's the cover art for this particular episode, even though this is not an episode about angels. This is an episode about understanding the true nature of reality. And wow, what a topic title, right? That's a huge topic. What is this going to be, a, a 50 hour long episode? Well, it's not, because I'm going to discuss this particular quote that I use all the time. And it came up because as I posted this image, Aaron uh, Voot, who's a fantastic writer, he does some really great work with uh, psychedelics and symbolism. I highly recommend you pick up his books, both The Spirit in the Sky, and then pick up uh, Deities, Myth, and Tryptamines, which is the second volume. Uh, For those of you that are not into psychedelics, maybe you won't get as much out of it, but there's some really interesting deep dives into symbology, uh, which kind of stems into one of the main themes of of the podcast, which is As Above, So Below. We talk about this all the time. And uh, what Voot does is he kind of combines astrotheology and looking at constellations and what we see in the sky into the deep recesses of the human mind, and how molecules are put together, and that's why these two books kind of go hand-in-hand with each other. And uh, I read Deities, Myth, and Tryptamines, which, by the way, of course, uh, spells out DMT, uh, very recently, and had a a nice chat with with Voot, going back and forth a little bit on Twitter, and uh, managed to read A Spirit in the Sky afterwards. So I do recommend you pick both of those up. I'll have links for those in the show notes so you can do so. And through this conversation, uh, Drew kind of chimed in. Drew was the listener that submitted the poem a couple episodes back. And Drew kind of mentioned, I hope, I hope, Drew, I hope you don't mind me uh, using your name on this. But he chimed in and said, uh, you know, something like, uh, are we star power you know, Like covered in moon dust? Like, what's her true nature? Uh, he, he talked a little bit about David Bowie and Space Boy, which, uh, fantastic track. I love David Bowie. And, of course, David Bowie was deeply mystical, if you ever look into his background. So, maybe at some point we'll we'll dive deep into the mysticism of David Bowie music. I think that could be a, a fun topic to discuss. But through this back and forth, they kind of reminded me of the quote that I want to talk about today. And that led down a deeper conversation. Now, as I mentioned, the quote does come from Ibn Atta'illah. He's a, a Sufi mystic. He was one of the... Not the first, I think he was maybe the third or fourth in line of his particular school of Sufi Islam, and of course Sufis are the Islamic mystics. And I really love the beautiful flowery language and imagery that the Sufis use to describe God, or Allah as he's called in Islam, and how their experience relates to the experience of discovering God. And after all, I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you're looking for something a little more. You want a little bit more explanation. That's what I want to do as well. I'm looking for more explanation as to what any of it means. And that's why I dive into so many mystical traditions. And we're going to keep going with that as we get past the episode 50 that's coming up, I think, uh, three episodes away. So by next week, we'll be on episode 50. And we're going to start diving deeper and deeper into these schools, because by now... I figure the people that are here and listening to the podcast are deeply knowledgeable in what it is that they want to do. Now, that doesn't mean that you have all the knowledge necessary to understand the symbolism, but it does mean that you have that want, that need inside you to understand more. And so you know, episode twenty-five was kind of a turning point for this podcast where we started going deeper and deeper into things. Instead of just glossing over kind of more mainstream topics like meditation and Buddhism and breathwork and things like that. We started diving deeper into, for example, the Gnostic school of thinking and how Christianity has changed so much over the last two thousand years. And I wanna take that into other traditions. So we'll definitely be doing the Sufi schools. We're going to do Kabbalah, as I said. I know a lot of people are excited for me to dive into Kabbalah. We're going to be uh, talking about some of the modern mystical traditions, etc. And it should put us in a pretty good place because by now you can kind of see where there's a lot of similarity between all these mystical schools. Because the mystical experience isn't bound by any kind of language. Now, sure, when you have a mystical experience, you might see things in a certain way based on whatever your personal background is, your personal ideology, your philosophy, whatever you were raised in, right? So if you're a Christian, you might have a mystical experience that involves Jesus or angels or the Virgin Mary. If you are you know, a Muslim and you have a mystical experience, you might see Muhammad or something resembling Allah. If you're a Buddhist, you might see the Buddha or any other Buddhist you're a hindi you might see krishna or any of these deities so depending on where you're coming from is the things that you're going to see but regardless of that what lies at the core of these teachings is always the same message and the message is very simple the thing is we oftentimes end up overcomplicating it and this is why during this conversation with uh, with oren vood and with drew i was reminded of this quote because we really do overcomplicate things right oftentimes we take things a little too literally and so as a result when we try to explain those things we end up coming up with a literal explanation of what they mean so we always have to look behind what the images are behind what the words are we have to learn to read in between the lines if we want to understand what it's like to be a mystic or a shaman because remember the the main difference between something more recognizable like modern christianity or modern buddhism islam etc is the hundreds or thousands of years of dogma that have risen about it and that's why there's so much discussion within mystical circles about kind of finding the shamanic style experience because the shamanic experience is very different it's not really dealing with all these dogmatic approaches that we have ingrained into ourselves the shamanic experience is purely about direct personal experience And not everybody can have a direct personal experience. Those that can become shaman. And this is true regardless of the tradition. In fact, I'm going to be doing uh, at least an episode, maybe two, on, uh, for example, the Maya and Inca and Aztec mystical traditions. And there's very little of it because, of course, a lot of that stuff was destroyed when the Spaniards came over. But there has been some reconstruction as to the mystical aspects of the aztec maya in traditions and they're not the same but they are in many respects somewhat similar and you'll see that even then the experience is very similar to what we've been discussing for example during the gnosticism unit these things are not any different that's why i always have this quote in my mind to remind me that that's the case because even though in many regards i am kind of a, a moral relativist there is ultimately some sense of truth with a capital T, that we can derive from these teachings. But that truth is so deeply hidden and covered up that it can be difficult to make sense of it. So Ibn Atta'ila was, uh, as I said, a, a Sufi mystic. He was one of the founders of a particular Sufi school. I can't recall off the top of my head what it was. But he was from Alexandria. Of course he was. Everyone's from Alexandria. And uh, that's part of his name. So if you want to find this particular person, because there's many different characters you can find in the Islamic tradition that are named Ibn Atayla, I'll explain why in a second. If you want to find this particular mystic, you'll be looking for Ibn Atayla al-Iskandari. And Iskandari is the Arabic name for Alexandria. And I really love, by the way, the, the names of a lot of these Sufi mystics because they're ridiculously long ridiculously long and they're of course not their real names their birth names they are kind of um monikers applied to people of great honor and of course he is one of them his full name is actually extremely long and i'm going to try to pronounce it but i don't speak any arabic so if i don't make sense of it and you do speak arabic then i apologize but it's uh taj al-din Abuli Fadl Ahmad Ibn Muhammad Ibn Adil Akarim, Ibn Atta'ala al-Iskandari Al-Shadhili. That's his full name. Fantastic. I would love to have a name like this. But it is shortened to, as I said, Ibn Eta'l al-Iskandari. And that means something to the effect of a son of the gift of God from Alexandria. That's why these names end up being so long, right? Ibn is kind of the son of so he's the son of Muhammad, the son of Kareem, the son of the gift of Alexandria. And to put this quote in perspective, I'm actually going to read uh, kind of an expanded version of it so you can get an idea of where this saying comes from. And I'm not going to read the whole aphorism, but uh, you can go find this yourself. Uh, there is a, a pretty good translation of Ibn Atayla's works, uh, one named the Book of Aphorisms, and you can find this particular saying in there. Now, as I read from this quote, I want you to think about this in terms of what we have been doing so far. We've been doing early Christian Gnostic ideology. So I want you to think of the imagery as it comes up in relation to some of the books that we've done. For example, in particular, the Gospel of Mary, uh, the Gospel of Thomas, the Secret Book of John, etc., Now, to kind of get the whole message across, I'm going to read this thing in full, and then I'm going to come back and start kind of tearing it up piece by piece in order to gain some understanding of what it is that Ibn Atayla is trying to say here. How can the heart be illumined while the forms of creatures are reflected in its mirror? Or how can it journey to God while shackled by its passions? Or how can it desire to enter the presence of God while it has not yet purified itself from the strain of forgetfulness? Or how can it understand the subtle points of mysteries while it has not yet repented of its offenses? While on the way to Allah, one can experience flashes or illuminations. But only when one has accomplished fana al-fana, only then can one see in the light of Allah himself. The real is not veiled from you. Rather, it is you who are veiled from seeing it. For were anything to veil it, then that which veils it would cover it. But if there were any covering to it, then there would be a limitation to its being. Every limitation to anything has power over it. But He is omnipotent above His servants. That is beautiful. The entire thing is beautiful. That's why I highly recommend. Even if you're, if even if you're not a Muslim, even if you're a strict adherent to whatever school you follow, I highly recommend you pick up some Sufi works. You can pick up the poetry of Rumi. I've done a, an episode on on Rumi's poetry in the past. We'll be doing more in the near future and of course i think is is amazing now off the bat i'm sure many of you understood the message immediately and what he's trying to say because this is basically the same thing we've been talking about for you know 12 13 parts of gnosticism of course the language is different because this is coming from a different place it follows different traditions it follows different leaders and prophets etc but the message remains the same because no matter where you go anywhere in the world regardless of tradition color race language all of that is irrelevant the message is the same because the human brain is the same regardless and when you really sit and think and really think like critically think about these things they become self-evident and this is something that's kind of very difficult to do when you're trying to find some kind of proof or evidence of the quote-unquote reality of these things right I mean, how can you prove God, right? I can prove that my glass of water is here because I can look at it, I can touch it, I can hold it. But how can I prove that God exists? I mean, technically, you could do the same experiment and call that God. But for a rationally, scientifically minded person, somebody that's purely entrenched in materialistic thinking, this is not proof of anything. I was listening to a a podcast this past week, and I, I wish I remembered the name of it. I apologize there's two seasons the first season is on bigfoot the second season is on ufo encounters and uh i've been kind of going back to the beginning so i was listening to the bigfoot series and uh it got to this one place where it was talking about dna and stuff like that and and one thing that i found really interesting was that she began comparing this search for bigfoot and she's not a believer by the way she's a journalist she's got a a family tie to the whole bigfoot phenomena because her i think it was her grandfather's cousin was one of like the founding members of like Bigfoot research, and uh, and so she started going over this evidence and talking to different experts. And one thing that one expert brought up was the gorilla, because of course you know the Greeks and everybody knew about gorillas, right? If you look at Greek literature, there's references to gorillas, but for you know 1900 years, 2000 years, nobody had seen a gorilla because no one had gone deep into the jungles of Africa. And so all anyone knew about the gorilla was whatever stories the locals were telling. And, of course, we should be familiar with this kind of sentiment. When locals tell a story or something, we just dismiss it as some you know, bunk supernatural thing, some mythology. Something like uh, Aesop's Fables, right? Where there are stories that you tell your kids so they don't go in the woods. Because if they go in the woods, then you know, the big hairy monster is going to get them. But, of course, gorillas exist, There's documentaries on gorillas. You can find pictures of gorillas. If you decide to go and partake in a journey to the jungles of Africa, I'm sure you can find some way to get an adventure together to go and find a tribe of gorillas. Gorillas are there. We see gorillas in the zoo. You can go to the zoo and see a gorilla. And so the point being made as a result of this is well, you know, if gorillas were, you know, this folklore, this fairy tale for 2,000 years, why couldn't a creature like Bigfoot be the same thing? Where it's so elusive, it goes so deep into places where humanity doesn't care to go, or is sometimes too afraid to go, that we have no way of seeing it. And I bring about this kind of odd example about Bigfoot to bring it back to this search for truth. Because in some ways, finding these mystical revelations is like finding Bigfoot, or maybe better example, of finding a gorilla in the jungle. Where that truth is there, it exists. But we have to find it. It's hard work. You can't just go and walk outside of your house and look around and be like, yep, truth is here. You have to go deep inside yourself, deep inside some of these texts that we go through on the podcast, deep through podcasts like this one and many others or YouTube videos or whatever, in order to be able to find that gorilla. And when you find the gorilla, to you, the gorilla is self-evident. Of course it's there. It's been there the whole time. But to somebody that's never seen the gorilla... You're just a crazy person. You smoked too much weed, you did some DMT or mushrooms or you know whatever, whatever other excuse people can use to reason away whatever your experience is. And of course, that doesn't mean that the experience is not real, because it is very real to you. But can you go beyond what the experience has given you and really try to understand it? That's where we come into problems. right It's one problem finding the gorilla. It's hard finding that gorilla. But when you find it, what do you do with it? Many, many episodes ago, I talked about the TEDx Herding Pictures. In fact, I was talking to a listener about it yesterday. And if you're not familiar with the TEDx Herding Pictures, by all means, check it out. It's a Buddhist story, a Buddhist cone, about how to find enlightenment and what happens when you find it. And what happens when you find it is that you realize it's been with you all along. How can the heart be illumined while the forms of creatures are reflected in its mirror? This is very simple. You know, for the Gnostics... This is the whole idea of the material world being an evil place and then not really holding any truth. And what it's saying is very simple. How can you expect your heart to be filled for you to be awakened to the truth of reality when, when everything you see around you is purely material things? Those people don't see the gorilla. They just see fairy tales. When your heart is illumined, when it's open to the possibilities of infinity, and I've talked about that before, we'll probably be talking about that again soon. When you're open to the possibility and realize what that means, then everything around you is not purely a reflection of your belief system, or rather, whatever belief system you've been brought up with, then your heart is open to truth, to being able to hold two thoughts at once, to being able to see beyond whatever your programming is. And of course, there's programming, you know, I I make fun of conspiracy sometimes, not because I don't think they're legitimate. But because I think sometimes people worry too much about the literal interpretation of what those things are. Are there UFOs? Are they not UFOs? Are there Bigfoot? Are there not Bigfoot? All those things are irrelevant. There is something more out there. Of course there is. And maybe one day we'll have that explanation. But we have to be able to open to accept the explanation and accept whatever the findings are. You know, throughout these couple of episodes on epistemology that I've done recently, that's one thing that I talked about quite at length. Especially in one of the later episodes, the, the one on tribalism, where if somebody fervently believes whatever they want to believe to be true, then it's going to be true. And anything that doesn't fit that paradigm is false. It's uh, it's part of the control system. It's the cabal. It's the reptilians. It's whatever. Demons. No, those things are just manifestations of the same thing, just interpreted through the eye of that person. Because, of course, if you look around – Everyone can, you know, look at this glass of water that I'm looking at and say, yep, that's a glass of water. It's half full or half empty, whatever. It's a glass of water. We can all agree to that. But we can not agree to some other things, like, is the sun real? Is the earth round? Do the planets orbit around the earth? Is there a spiritual realm? Is astral projection real? Is there a soul? Is there a god? All these things, we can't agree to them. Because everything around us, we see as reflections of ourselves. And so in order for the heart to be illumined, we have to get rid of this. How can it journey to God while shackled by its passions? Exactly. How can it desire to enter the presence of God while it has not yet purified itself from the strain of forgetfulness? Forgetting, of course, of who you really are. But more importantly, how can it understand the subtle points of mysteries while it has not yet repented of its offenses? Because see, then the the mysteries will not be evident to you. You'll just see them as conspiracies and people trying to keep you down and you know the elites taking over and they, they hide who you really are from you. They hide human existence from you. They hide the fact that uh, what, what you know, the Egyptians didn't build the pyramids, all this stuff. Do you ever think for a second that maybe they don't have any freaking idea? That's possible. Have you thought about that? Have you thought about that the people living now have no idea what came before? Because, of course, the only thing we can say is whatever humanity has put into writing. And the old, oldest form of writing we found is, you know, five, six thousand years. At least that we can understand, right? If you look at a site like Gobekli Tepe that's got all these beautiful images of vultures and snakes and foxes, etc. Maybe that's a way to represent language, right? That's why hieroglyphics and similar types of writing systems are so old, right? The, the logographic writing systems. And, you know even like the phoenician alphabet for example that has become what we use now as the roman alphabet even that was kind of low graphic right you know the letter a was literally a picture of an ox so if you take an a and put it upside down you can see that but over time it has changed and these letters change where they're no longer kind of what they originally represented they just become some abstract symbol but those that study the languages and understand their evolution can understand the mystery behind it and this is all it's saying it's not a mystery because somebody's trying to keep the information from you it's a mystery because most people don't know and of course most people don't care to find out now those that decide to partake in the journey of trying to find out can oftentimes get glimpses of things this is something that i bring up all the time in particular in relation to cults and when i say cults i don't mean just purely religious cults i'm also talking about political cults and scholastic cults cults of personality where one person or a group of people has somehow managed to convince everybody else that they hold some kind of knowledge that the rest do not and that's preposterous once we get through episode 50 i'm actually going to be doing a series on how to know if you're in a cult how to get away from cult mentality things like that we're going to dive a little deeper into cults because it's important to recognize when we are part of one because you got to remember the only way to achieve true understanding of things is for you to have full authority of your understanding that's when you know who you are otherwise you are just a copy of somebody else and that's not who you are and one way that i always like to discern automatically without doing any research whatsoever on whether the group that i'm getting involved in is a cult or not is to see how the quote-unquote leader talks to the cult. To me, if a leader sits with the people that he's talking to, preaching to, whatever, if he sits with those people or she, doesn't talk down to them, tries to understand what they're saying, I'm more likely to want to see what this group is about. But if I get involved and I see, oh, well, this person's saying this, get rid of them. Ban them from the group. They can't say that kind of thing. Or you go to a meeting and they're up on a stage somewhere and they're sitting on on a crown or on a throne, you know, or whatever. Have some, some crazy outfit on. Maybe they're wearing a crown, whatever, any of these things. Then I've kind of taken it back a little bit. Because this person, most likely not knowingly, but of course there is some deeply ingrained psychology behind all this. That even if consciously this person doesn't realize what they're doing... By putting yourself up on a pedestal of some sort, you automatically say, I'm the guy in charge here. I'm the woman in charge here. And everybody else, they just listen, right? They're down on their knees, they're you know, sitting cross-legged or whatever. And I'm, I'm sitting up right here on this big fancy chair. And of course, our culture has just kind of naturally evolved into doing this, Right. So even if you go to school, the teacher is up at the front of the school teaching the rest of the people, and they're behind a pulpit of some sort. If you go to like a political rally, they're up on a stage, and they're behind the pulpit, and they're giving a speech. If you – you know, the White House inauguration, when that comes around in January, they're up on this balcony right on top of everybody else, and they go through this whole coronation ceremony. Now, I know there's no technical crown, but it is a coronation ceremony, a symbolic coronation ceremony. Now, back in ancient times, this was not always the case. And this is why the amphitheater was developed. Now, yes, there are acoustic benefits of the amphitheater because it's very easy to project your voice upwards into this concave space. And, you know, they didn't have electricity. On, I mean, maybe you think they did. They didn't have electricity as far as we know. So there were no loudspeakers, no microphones, anything like that. So it's naturally an easier way to convey a message through a large group. But they could have easily done it the other way around, Right. Every time I see a depiction of, uh, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, for example, you always see Jesus standing atop the sur- the uh, the mount, and everybody's down below, and he's kind of proselytizing to them. And of course, that's not the way it worked because these people understood acoustics, and so Jesus would have been at the bottom of the mount with everyone sitting on or on top of the mount. That way, they can hear it. Otherwise, how they're going to hear it? There's no microphones, there's no speakers. While on the way to Allah, and of course, Allah means God. One can experience flashes or illuminations. This is part of the mystical experience. I know many of you listening have had mystical experiences. That's why you're listening. Because you want to know what they're about. And of course, I don't have the answers. But I can speak from my own personal experience. And that's what we should all be doing, is speaking from our own personal experience. As you have these experiences, as you learn more and more, you have flashes and illuminations. And so you can speak more and more to a particular topic. In common parlance, you become an expert. You become an authority. Of course, you guys know I hate both of those terms. Because my thing is, you can always learn more about what's going on by gathering experiences from other people having experiences. This is how we learn things. Because we could never possibly have every single experience. You know, Most of us in the Western world live in probably nice homes, right? Or at least a home of some sort. You have a job. you have a family. All these things. There's things that we know not to do or things to do based on the experience of other people. So a lot of people hate going to the woods, for example, and going camping because they are, they're afraid they might get attacked by you know a, a mountain lion or a wolf or a bear or any of these things, depending on where you are in the world. And you don't do that because you've had a personal experience of being attacked by a wild animal, and now you know, well, I can't go there because I'll get attacked by a wild animal. But there's stories right Of people getting attacked by animals and of course you don't want to get hurt so you don't go so that's not your personal experience but you can create and shape the world around you based on the experience that's told by others and that's why i love chatting with people that listen to the podcast because i can't have every experience but i can definitely learn from other people's experiences in particular from other people's points of view because you know even if i were a twin right even if i had a twin brother or sister Even my twin would have a different life experience from me. Of course, as twins, they might be very similar, right? You might be raised very close together. We're always together. We dress the same. We're in the same class. We go to the same parties, whatever. But we're not 100% exactly the same person, even genetically if we are, because we're not going to be together 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And so even a minute difference in personal experience will change the outcome in the way we shape that world of experience, but only when one has accomplished fana al fana, only then can one see in the light of Allah Himself. Now, this is a topic that we haven't covered yet, fana al fana. This is one of my favorite bits of Muslim mysticism. Is this term fana al fana? Through my studies of Islam, I haven't encountered it very often. I have encountered just the term fana, and fana basically means something to the effect of the passing away, okay. So, the passing away of the self, right? It's having some kind of awakening or a realization. But in this saying, Ibn Ata'ilah is going even further. This is fana al fana, it's the passing away of the passing away. Now, that is how you describe a true mystical experience. Because as we undertake our studies and trying to find what this whole thing is about, we always have these flashes and illuminations, and we might have many different experiences of for example ego death where we start questioning who it is that we are right we still don't know who we are so we have to start breaking apart the image of self that's been created through our personal experience and of course yes in some cultures and some families there's a very strict definition of what you're supposed to be right so if your father was a carpenter you're a carpenter if your father was a painter you're going to be a painter if your father was a lawyer you're going to be a lawyer and if you're a woman well you know maybe good luck at least in olden times your job is to be a wife and a mother those are images of self that get implanted into us not maliciously but because we live in a culture in a society and we have to continue to make the society work and this has worked in the past so let's continue doing this exact thing for the future so this is where we have a little bit of overlap into the whole epistemology series that i did again talking in particular with relation to tribalism where oftentimes we we feel like we had you know, the world's such a bad place we have to make it better well why do we have to make it better and who said the world is a bad place the world is what you make of it so if the world is a bad place you're making it a bad place the world has no feeling about whether it's good or bad it just exists but what you're doing is reflecting that in the mirror of your heart and so the world becomes a bad place you think republicans are bad you think democrats are bad blacks are bad whites are black antifa's bad blm is bad not hitler's bad jews are bad reptilians are bad the illuminati's bad is that true is there something inherent about that thing that makes it automatically bad and i know some of you automatically jump right there's i know a lot of people raised within christianity that listen to the podcast because i talk to you guys quite often some of you automatically said well yes the devil's bad. But is the devil bad? How much time have you spent thinking about that question? We're going to start getting into that pretty soon. So episode 50 is going to be all about fear. And once we get past this topic of fear, we can start looking at some of these things in a more non-dualistic way. Because sometimes you say that things are bad only because you've been raised to believe that they're bad. And you never bothered to look into it. Once you start educating yourself, maybe you'll start to realize that's not necessarily the case. This is why I brought up, you know, for example, Lucifer a couple times in the last few episodes. And that'll be a topic that we'll be getting into very, very soon. Now, if you don't see it right now, if you don't see how these, how could Martin say that these things are not bad? If you don't see it right now, that's fine. Don't worry too much about it. Don't get angry at me or at yourself or anything like that. You're just not at that point yet. That's all that means. There may come a time where you get to that point, And when you get to that point, you might realize, well, yeah. Martin was wrong, such and such is bad. Because again, I don't expect anyone to agree with anything that I say on the podcast. Oftentimes, when I do these topics, I do it to kind of get some of my own personal feelings and ideas out of the way on a particular topic in the hopes that as I talk myself through it, I can come to a better understanding of it. And by putting it in a recorded format where people listen, then those people can come back and say, okay, I listened to this. I don't agree with for this because of whatever reason, but this was cool because of this, right? And that's, that's a conversation. This is how we move forward. Because if we were all the same, we would never move forward. You know, I brought up uh, Jordan Peterson a few episodes ago, and I'm going to bring him up again because I think Jordan Peterson had a really great valid point when talking about this whole thing, this, this battle between the left and the right. You have to have a left and a right. Otherwise, you have no culture. You have no civilization. Because the people on the left think differently. They're more artistic in the way that they look at things. They might be better at coming up with some unique ideas of solving a problem. But people on the right keep things going because they know how to do things a certain way. And they keep doing them that way. And so we should never expect there to be you know, no more left, no more right. That's preposterous. Just like we should never expect it to just, everything's going to be perfect one day. We're all going to live in unison. It's going to be love and peace and light. Everything's love and light. Everything's beautiful. The world is perfect. You're perfect. We're going to ascend to the fifth dimension, whatever people say sometimes. That's ridiculous. Now, that's not to say that there isn't some process that can get you to a place where you achieve full realization. That's not what I'm seeing at all. So I want to put that put a stop to that right now because that's not what i'm saying i do firmly believe that each of us through continuous work can get to a place where we can return to the pleroma okay and i'll use that term because we've been doing a lot of stuff on narcissism what the actual name of the place is is irrelevant who cares but we can get there but people come you know with this this delusion that uh, you know you're gonna you're gonna wake up and you're gonna achieve enlightenment or some sort whatever name you want to use for it and uh, and you'll rejoin God and, and you know you'll be eternal and uh, and everything's gonna be beautiful and peachy and of course that's ridiculous because the point of doing all this work is to get rid of the self and if that's the way that you're thinking this is gonna be when you get there then you're never gonna get there because then you're still a self. That's why I love this term of fauna al fauna, the passing away of the passing away, where ultimately there is absolutely nothing of you left. This is true death, true death. Through our Gnostic discussion, we've talked a lot about this, this mystery school idea of the body dying and you being resurrected through, through the spiritual womb where you now become a perfected being. right? Now you're kind of an enlightened being, and then you're worthy of the grace of God. Because then you start to understand the mystery. But what I still see sometimes when people try to talk to me about this is they still want to know, like, well, you know, once you get to that point, then how do you get to this next level? How do you get to this next level? And what these things are trying to teach us is you're not worrying about those things. You're only at that point of view of, you know, getting to the next level, next level, next level, because you haven't reached the first level yet. You haven't found that base understanding. You haven't found that... First step in fauna in the passing away of self you're still out there looking for the ox you're looking for the gorilla or bigfoot and once you get to this first step of passing away then you start seeing why am i out there looking for bigfoot bigfoot is right here i'm bigfoot i'm the ox i am it and that's when the work really begins is when you get to that first step and so as you have continuous flashes and illuminations, the thing that you were becomes closer and closer to you. In, in Vedanta, they talk about kind of the thing behind the thing. And one of the things that I really like about this whole idea of self-evidence, and when you start getting to this place of fana alfana, things become self-evident. And this is very hard to prove, right? Because they're so obvious to you. Of course that's what it is. They're so obvious to you. But they're not obvious to anybody else because they're not at that place yet. But one story that I really like is the the metaphor of the eyes. Right? Everyone's always looking around, looking around. But one thing that you can never see are your own eyes. I mean, yes, OK, fine. You can look in a mirror and look at your eyes. Sure. But in the natural world where there are no mirrors, let's say, you can never look at your eyes. Everything is in front of your eyes because that's the way we've evolved. And I've talked about you know why we have front facing eyes, for example. Everything is in front of you, but everything stops at your eyes, right? So you can't, you can't see behind you. Everything stops at your eyes. And that's how it is as you begin to chip away at this whole idea of self, of ego, is that eventually you get closer and closer. You're not getting further and further away in your journey. You're getting closer and closer to your goal because your goal was always in you. See, this is why language is so important because I know a lot of us think of it this way. We have to partake in this journey and, you know, go through these trials and, you know, go to faraway places, metaphorically, of course, in order to find the truth. And the thing that you're doing is not going in further and further out to find the truth. It's that you're coming deeper and deeper in to find the truth. Truth was always in you. The kingdom of God is in you. Right? This is how the imagery works. This is why it's said in the way that it's said. But when you start taking it literally, that's not what you see. You end up coming up with some kind of hero's journey. We have to travel to far off lands and slay monsters and demons and wherever else. You're not traveling out there. The world out there is coming to you. And when it gets to the place where you are, you realize it is you and you are it. And once you have that realization, then you have one of the ultimate realizations, right? There is no it and there is no me. The passing away of the passing away. This is when you see the light of Allah himself. Now, here's where we get to my favorite part of this. The real is not veiled from you. Rather, it is you who are veiled from seeing it. Of course. Before I go into this, let me, let me read a little further because he goes into it here. For were anything to veil it, then that which veils it would cover it. So you can't be it if there's something else outside of you. Right. That's why all these traditions always have this ultimate God idea. Right. Even within the Gnostics. People that don't understand, that are purely materialistic, that think that you know, this world is something special and we should try to you know get as much out of it as we can. To them, God is the Demiurge, right? Sockless, any of the other names. But for those that understand the mystery, they go beyond that because they see that that's just one manifestation of it. Because if it weren't one manifestation, then everyone would worship one God, and they don't. They worship hundreds, thousands, millions of gods all over the world. And so that God couldn't be the God, it's just a God. And those are a dime a dozen. The God is all of existence. One of the first few episodes that I did for the podcast, I, I had an exercise where I had people kind of picture this infinite circle. So do the exercise right now. Think of an infinite circle. Now, I guarantee you, when you had this thought of an infinite circle in your mind, you didn't think of an actual infinite circle. Because you, in your mind, had a picture of a circle. And of course, a circle has a boundary. And if it has a boundary, then it's not infinite. And so the ultimate reality is exactly this. It is ultimately because there's nothing outside of it. You know, in science, they talk about, uh, you know, like many worlds theory, multiverses, and all this kind of stuff. You get a lot of this in, uh, in, in esoteric circles, in alternative circles. And the interpretation that's used is getting there. It's part of the way there, but it's not ultimately there because there's always something that's put into the story that puts a boundary around it because it's so impossible for people to understand what infinity would be like because we're not infinite. We're a minute, tiny, minuscule speck of nothingness in existence. I mean, even within just a planet, we're a tiny, minute speck. Imagine in the solar system, In the galaxy, in the universe, it's impossible to comprehend. But of course, when we put these boundaries on things, it makes us feel like we have some kind of control over it, right? Like when scientists say, well, you know, the universe is 14 billion years old, and and you think, and you're like, 14 billion, like, I can write that number down, right? It's, It's what, like 12 zeros, 15 zeros, whatever. I can write that number down. That's not that bad. You don't realize what that means. I mean, think about it. At the speed of light, it would take you four years to get to the next star, the next closest star. Four years at the speed of light. We can't even get close to the speed of light, right? So it would take you centuries, thousands and thousands of years to get to the nearest star. And of course, with the language used, it means nothing. Four light years. Yeah, that's that's right next door. It's our next door neighbor. They say this kind of thing too, right? It's our next door neighbor. Well, yeah, sure. Cosmically speaking, it is. That doesn't give you any kind of relationship to you. And if there were a covering to it, there would be a limitation to its being. Every limitation to anything has power over it. That's right. That's how we make sense of the world. And that's the argument some of you are already thinking in your mind. Well, of course, we have to put these limits on things in order to understand them. And what I'm saying is that you're wasting your time because you're never going to understand them. You're never going to understand the universe because the universe is infinite even at 14 billion years you have no idea how how large that is in terms of you it might as well be infinite although i would argue and of course a lot of ancient schools would argue as well that the universe really literally is infinite there's no beginning or end we just come upon a theory of how it's created how it's shaped because that's the limit we have put into it and so we have to find an explanation for this limit all believe systems work this way even science even something that has to go through the rigor of testing and experimentation has to put a limit on things i can't remember the exact quote but it's something to the effect of you know give me one miracle and i can give you all of science of course scientists hate this because how dare you talk about miracles and science right we do everything to experimentation well sure that might be true and that has proven true for many many things the way our modern world exists wouldn't be possible If we didn't have this one minor miracle at the core, and that minor miracle is right now the Big Bang. Now, I want to make sure I'm clear that I'm not crapping on science. I think science is very important to understanding reality. And when I say reality, of course, I don't mean just purely physical reality. I mean all of reality. I often talk about critical thinking because we should be able to use some kind of method similar to the scientific method to prove the things that we believe and think to be true. Critical thinking is key. Otherwise, you end up falling into cults, you end up falling into conspiracy theories. And that's not truth. That's a distraction. We're going to go really into depth into that when I do reality versus imagination. Those are all distractions. All the belief systems that you were raised with, all distractions. The only way you get to do the work is by doing the work inside of you. That's where it is. Then you have no distraction because you're it. Every limitation to anything has power over it. This is why when, A- when God creates Adam, Adam begins naming all the things. Because this gives him power over it. By giving something the name, you have control over it. This is literally why we have the word spell. You often hear in, in alternative circles people talking about spells and black magic and this, that, and the other. All garbage. These things are not inherently good or inherently evil. Keep that in mind garbage it's a distraction from the work when you're in school one of the things you learn how to do is what you learn to spell words that is all it means and the word to spell comes from i believe it's spallin it's an old germanic word and it means to tell a story this is where you get the word gospel for example gospel means a good story sometimes people think it's you know a story of god because it used to be god spell preposterous it means good spell good story if you don't know what i'm talking about look up the the great vowel shift that happened in in early english where all the the sounds of all the vowels shifted over just a little bit that's why people get confused with gospel thinking it's something about god it has nothing to do with god it just means a good story and this is what you're doing when you're spelling you're telling the story of the word and when you name things you have power over them you have some you, you think you have some semblance of understanding because you can call it something. But you have no idea what it is. That's what you have to do the work. And this leads to the, the little story I had in terms of my personal life. I've talked about my dad once or twice in the podcast. Not very in-depth. But, uh, you know, my dad used to be a, a minister. And uh, he's not anymore, but he is still very much involved in his, in his church. And so I grew, up in a, I grew up in a religious household. But my parents were somewhat open-minded even through their their fervent belief in something. Now, of course, you know, when I decided to quit going to church, they were, I would say, more disappointed than angry. My dad maybe was a little angrier, but I think, uh, I think after all these years of kind of thinking about it, I don't think it was anger because he was legitimately angry that I was leaving church because I was going to burn in hell. I think he was more angry because he didn't understand why. And of course, that's something that we should all be able to empathize with, right? people get angry at things all the time look at social media everyone's always angry about something angry about politics they're angry about uh, stephen greer they're angry about ufos they're angry about disclosure they're angry about bigfoot they're angry about whatever everyone's always angry about something why the answer is very simple they just don't understand how to express what it is that they feel because for them the world is still just a mirror of their heart and their heart is angry Because, you know, they they lead crappy lives. Maybe they're married to somebody they hate. They have a crappy job. They don't have as much money as they want. They don't, uh, you know, not everyone has the same political beliefs that they do. The same theories and ideas that they do. The same upbringing that they do. And they're angry. Why can't everyone just understand and believe like I believe? So everything would be cool and peachy and kosher and love and light and peace. And so they're angry. This is why children get angry. This is why babies get angry. Why do babies cry? They don't start crying because they're actually angry. They start crying because we understand that when the baby cries, they probably, you know, did the bathroom in their pants or they're hungry. And this is what adults do all the time. They just start crying and screaming and getting angry because they think it's gonna get some reaction. you know, they'll get some empathy. People will say, "Oh, it's okay." Like, okay, we'll try it your way. That's ridiculous. You gotta wake up, monkeys. This is what. Buddhists talk about with in terms of the monkey mind of course it doesn't mean that Buddhists believe that you know mankind evolved from apes that's the scientific belief i happen to fall with that probably being true but we still keep that within us we still have that monkey mind we're still thinking that same way we'll listen to my episode of tribalism where i dive into that you know some people get angry when i say that okay we evolved from apes who cares oh there's no way we're so smart we're so great we're so perfect. We know so many things. We can talk. We can go to space. We can build cars. And this, that, and the other. It doesn't make you any better. And a friend of the show, Sandy, posted a, a fantastic meme on Twitter the other day. I loved it. It was, uh, it was a clay tablet inscription. And it had, <laughs> it had a, a stick figure on this... I don't know what you would call it. It looked, it looked like he was on a skateboard. And then side by side was a picture of a guy in a suit riding a little moped. And so, of course, they look the same and it was the, the message was something like this is how much we've learned over the last 5000 years but it's true we haven't done any better this is why we still have these discussions on mystical traditions and understanding who we are because we're no better off right now than we were 5000 years ago and sure we have houses and cars and airplanes and spaceships and lasers and whatever else but is our life any better And the answer is obviously no, because if the answer is yes, then you wouldn't have so many people searching. This is what it means by the heart just looking out and seeing everything in its mirror. We haven't done any better because we keep finding new ways of doing the same thing, just more productively. And what does that lead? It leads to violence, it leads to rioting, it leads to distrust, it leads to war. And for what? Because those things don't fix anything either. I've been hearing a lot lately about, you know, entering 5D and whatever else. And I know what these people are saying. But this is just wish fulfillment. It's it's pure imagination. Because even those people that believe that we're entering this 5D realm don't even know what that means. Just because you believe something is coming doesn't mean it's true. But what happens is you don't do the critical thinking. You don't do the work. You just follow whatever bullshit somebody gives you. And here we go with the typical message. We go back to the same place. When then you have no authority. You're just some monkey mind. You get it. You've got to wake up. Don't let these people do this to you. They're distracting you. That's why we keep being in the same damn place. Anyway, so I, I talked to my dad this past week, and uh, and it was interesting. He he always throws out some like fun thing, right? And usually it's some religious imagery. Always tells me, you know, God loves you, this, that, and the other, and uh, and he and I had never explicitly talked about what I do on the podcast or what I do or don't believe in, and uh, he, I can't remember what it was that that he said. He said something to me, and I replied in the way that I would reply, and uh kind of caught him off guard, and it got us going into a conversation about uh, what I believed in, and I said, well, you know, I'm not, I don't go to church, I don't, I'm not a Christian, not a Muslim, or buddhist or anything like that i just i take a little bit of all traditions the stuff that makes sense the stuff that i can put together the stuff that relates to my experience that can expand my experience that make me a better person that's that's all i look for and he he said well what's what's your path called and i i immediately laughed in my head because I, i immediately wanted to throw out a joke right i was gonna be like uh martinism which is a thing by the way not related to to me you can look up martinism maybe we'll we'll do a little episode on martinism at some point in the future uh, but uh, but i laughed a little bit inside my head and uh, and i said there's no name for it if i if i had a name for it then i'd be in control of it and that's not what i'm about i just i just want to lay in the river and just go downstream see where it takes me now how this ends up going into the future i don't know because you know he's he's trying to get me back at the church and start believing in certain things over the years and not forcefully of course but in a very nice and loving way a very respectful way and of course i appreciate that but i do wonder now after having had this conversation with them, if our discussions on these kind of things would be a little different and that's really all we can expect whenever we undergo any kind of journey like this right number one is don't take things so seriously don't think it so literally. It's all just a game. It's all a giant cosmic dance. And that's one reason I, I love the Sufis, right? I don't know if you've ever seen the uh, Whirling Dervishes, for example. But it's a, a group of Sufi mystics that perform these dances. And, you know, basically they're twirling in circles. I mean, you can just say that. They're twirling in circles. but uh, But I did have a chance to see a live performance of it. Oh, I don't know, 20 one years ago i think i was still in high school and, uh, and it was beautiful of course i didn't understand it then and i understand it now but it was still beautiful to see you know some people would take this literally like hey we have to do this dance so in order to get fana alfana, or you know you have to go to church on sundays and pray this way and say your ave maria's or whatever do your rosary or whatever other ritual you have in your particular denomination And what I'm saying is that you're missing the point if that's what you think it is. The map is not the territory. The rituals that you're partaking of are not the things that lead you to salvation, awakening, you know, any of these things. That's not what leads you there. These are reminders of what you have to achieve and what you can achieve. But only when you understand that mystery can you truly achieve it and see it for what it is. It's just a metaphor. That's all it is just pure imagination all right i'm gonna end this episode here i want to thank you all for listening i hope you enjoyed it next episode we're gonna tie in some more gnostic epistemology and and cosmology to one of my favorite traditions and one that i've learned a lot from and that is advaita vedanta i've talked about it quite a bit so i'm actually going to be diving a little bit into the upanishads again one of the earliest episodes that i did was on the upanishads but uh, I want to revisit it now that we have some some deeper context in terms of Gnostic Christianity because I think now we can have a better understanding maybe through language and imagery that some of you can understand in order to explain what Vedanta is about. So I'm going to dive into uh, the Upanishad and compare it to some of the Gnostic texts that we've been talking about and, uh, and the, the obvious influence of Eastern belief systems will will be self-evident to you as we start going into that so i hope you enjoy the episode the website is up you can go to the the discord server is up so if you want to chat with other listeners of the podcast i think there's about a dozen people in there right now Uh, you can go and check that out the link is also on the website and uh, you can also join the patreon and support the podcast Uh, it's not officially launched yet but uh, the link is on the website and uh, that's where i'll be posting my blog posts so the blog posts will be completely free there'll be no uh level of entry whatsoever so anybody can read those Uh, there is one up now as to why it is that i'm doing the website and the discord and the patreon and all that and uh starting later on in the week i'm going to start posting episodes early so you can join the patreon you can get uh there's different levels uh you can get the episodes early if you're a patreon you can also get uh, the members only chat in the discord channel and then at, uh, at the higher level you'll also get additional episodes and things like that so just go and check out the patreon and decide for yourself I don't expect anyone to partake of it but if you do great if you want to join the, uh, support the podcast that'd be great as well but uh, we'll wrap it up here thank you for listening and as always remember that you Or it.